you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. All right. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So wonderful to be with you this Sunday morning. If you're new or visiting, great that you're here. My name's Guy. Joy and privilege, as always, to serve uh, as the pastor here at City on a Hill, a church committed to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. By show of hands, who knows uh, of the great Charles Blondin? Not one hand! Two hands. Amazing, amazing story. True story about the first man to cross Niagara Falls on a tight rope. 350 meters long, nothing separating him and the water but that tight rope. He was born in 1824, discovers his calling at four years of age and trained as a gymnast in France. Uh, And then in his early 20s, he travels to the U.S., joins a uh, circus crew, uh, mastering his act uh, before setting his eyes on Niagara Falls. Uh, Ahead of his first attempt, 
His manager uh, led this huge uh, PR campaign. 25,000 people journeyed to the falls to watch him uh, in action, carrying nothing but a balancing pole without any safety net at all. Blondin steps onto the wire and the crowd ooed and aahed every single step. Let me hear your best ooh. There you go. Let's hear your best ah. That's right. There you go. Apparently some people even fainted. If that happens today, that's on you, not on me, right? He goes along, they're ooing, they're ahhing until eventually he makes it to the end and everybody cheers loudly. Let's hear your best loud cheer. Oh, that's pretty lame. Come on, come on, come on. We can do better than that. Uh, Blondin, however, was just getting started. In the weeks and months that followed, he decided to lift up the difficulty with every attempt. Uh, he starts off walking without a balancing aid. Other times he did it blindfolded and even on stilts. But of course, the most famous moment came when he stood on the banks with a wheelbarrow. Uh, with a wheelbarrow in hand, Blondin turns to the crowd and says, Who believes that I can push this wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And the crowd says, we believe, we believe. And then he says, who believes I can push a man in the wheelbarrow across the tightrope? And the crowd says, we believe. You're the great Charles Blondin, we believe. So Blondin says, who will be my first volunteer? People look to the left, people look to the right. Of course, nobody puts up their hand, nobody steps forward, no one enters in. And I love that story. I love that story because it clues us in on the difference between a true faith and an empty faith. You can say you have faith, you can declare out loud, we believe, but it's a big difference, a huge Niagara Falls gap between believing someone can walk a tightrope with someone in the wheelbarrow and being a person who's ready to enter in. In the same way, there's a big difference between someone who says, I have faith in God, and someone who's prepared to put it on the line. Today, in part two of our series, Strong and Courageous, we're looking at the story of Joshua, and we meet a new character. Her name Rahab. And do you know what makes her story so inspiring? Do you know what makes her a city on a hill that shines? It is her faith. Rahab is a woman who doesn't just talk the talk, she walks the walk. So for those of you who are feeling stuck today, for those who fear facing the unknown, for those who are sick and tired of going nowhere in life, this message is for you. Uh, I'm going to unpack three insights about faith today. So if you've got a Bible handy, come with me to Joshua chapter 2. So first, the story of Rahab shows us that faith without courage is dead. Faith without courage is dead. So let's check out verse 1. And Joshua, 
the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. Anyone been to Shittim before? No, okay. (laughs) Two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So in week one, we found ourselves in the wilderness with God's people, Israel. And we learnt together that they'd been in, uh, been in the wilderness for 40 years of isolation and barrenness. They were stuck with nowhere to go. And we discovered that they were there on account of their own sin and disobedience. Uh, but as we learnt last week, that when it comes to the promise of God, there is no full stop. And so he comes to Joshua and he says, now is the time of salvation. And he calls Joshua to rise up and to enter into the land he had promised to Abraham. And so at the end of chapter one, we see Joshua uh, in the camp with Israel. They've got three days to prepare for the journey across. Yet what's interesting Somewhat unexpected about chapter 2 is that the scene quickly moves from Joshua, this military leader, this man of faith, to a woman on the other side of the Jordan, a woman working in the outskirts of the city. Uh, We aren't told much about or anything actually about her past. We aren't given insight into her family or religious upbringing, only that her life and the city that she is part of stood at odds with the God of Israel. Uh, We discovered last week that the Canaanites, those who inhabited the land of promise, were known for their military might and their violence and war, but they were also known for their depravity and sin. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we learn that they indulged in all manner of sexual promiscuity. And so this, coupled with their sorcery and pagan worship, led to debased practices such as temple orgies, bestiality, incest, and even human sacrifice. All of which to say, Rahab is found among a dark and depraved people. But what is even more striking is that Rahab is not only numbered among the Canaanites, but as Joshua points out in verse 1, she worked in Jericho as a prostitute. In our day, we would say she's a sex worker. Now, I know some Christians can feel uncomfortable with this part of her story. Religious people get twitchy with the idea that a hero of faith could have such a dark and sexualized past. In fact, some some commentators have tried to sanitize her story, cross out the reference to her being a prostitute, and instead suggested that Rahab was an innkeeper, an Airbnb host, A concierge, someone who baked cookies and milk and provided hospitality to traveling guests. How about no? How about we just let the Bible speak for itself? Rahab is not an innkeeper. 
She's not an Airbnb host. She is, as the Bible says repeatedly, in fact, a prostitute, a sex worker. Now, in our modern world, the entertainment industry doesn't, it, it loves to glamorize sex workers and tell women that oh, it's independent, it's fame, it's fortune. But we need to be honest about Rahab's story and the hardship and the isolation and the degradation that she would have experienced. She's alone. She's playing Russian roulette with her body every day, um, despised by other women, abused by men. I mean, she is living a very hard and difficult life. And no doubt she carries regret sadness, bitterness, and and shame. We don't know what has led to that story, but we know that it's littered with pain and difficulty. And yet, do you know what I love about the Bible? (laughs) Do you know what should thrill us every Sunday when we come together as God's people? It's seeing that the grace of God moves in unexpected places and reaches unexpected people. How many of you here today know that the arms of the Lord are not too short to save? How many of you know His grace is good news of great joy for all who believe? For all who have faith, There is good news. Look with me to verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. How does the king know about the two spies? Did someone tip him off? Did a neighbor, a sneaky neighbor, dob them in? We don't know. All we know is that he has sent for Rahab to hand them on over. And so Rahab has a choice. All right, let's not forget we're talking about a king in a depraved generation who has absolute authority and power, who exists to prevent any risk in the kingdom, who will punish any any hint of treason, that's who he is. He has endless power and authority. The gallows are within his reach. And here is Rahab, an unmarried, marginalized sex worker who's faced with a choice. Is she to put her own life and the life of her father and mother and brothers and sisters on the line? Is she to risk all of that? Or is she, to do the, is she to do the most obvious thing? The simplest thing. Let's look at how Rahab responds. Verse 4, Rahab says to the king, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. What does Rahab do in her moment of testing? 
she shows courage under fire. Courage under fire. I know a lot of Christians will feel uncomfortable or a certain discomfort with a, a story that has a hero who lies. Uh, and that's a fair critique because all through the Bible we're told not to lie. Speak the truth. It's very important to speak the truth. But it's important to say that Rahab's lie has almost zero interest to the writer of the story. Just as the midwives in Egypt uh, lie to Pharaoh to save those innocent children, so Rahab's lie is free from any judgment or condemnation. Now, does that mean you have license to lie? No, of course not. But perhaps there are a few very rare occasions in life where it is permissible to oppose evil by concealing truth. Of course, the story of Rahab is not written to give you a lesson in Christian ethics. It exists instead to teach us about the essence of true faith. A faith that doesn't do what is comfortable and safe, but is willing, but is willing to take risks. A faith that is willing to lay down its own life for the sake of others. I want to suggest to you that it is this faith and this faith alone that is pleasing to our Lord. Your God loves you. He cares for you, but he is not interested in words alone. The Lord is looking for a people of word and deed, of faith and action. James, the brother of Jesus, says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Answer, it's useless. In fact, it's worse than useless because James goes on to say, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. Now, does this mean that we are saved by our good works? No. As the reformers reformers famously said, we are saved by faith alone. But the Bible also teaches that the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, Christianity can't be reduced to uh, intellectual assent to a series of theological doctrines. Christianity is a living, breathing doing. A guy may say to, to a girl, I love you. I love you. But if there's no commitment in his life, if there's no service in his heart, if there are no works of love, then his words are nothing more than hot air. In the same way, you who say you have faith must not only declare it, but live it. Rahab believed in God, but her trust in God didn't stop with her head. She was willing to put her own life on the line. And what I've come to realize is that these tests of courage and faith Uh, almost always appear when we least expect it. Like sometimes there are things in life you've got to prepare for, you've got time to prepare for, you know they're coming, and you're like, this is going to be difficult, and you talk with friends, and you you, you muster the courage, and you pray, and you've got all of that time. But, But then there are other occasions where they just comes when you least expect it. 
uh, just last week, I was lining up for a flight, and um, there was a guy uh, who essentially pu- tried to push his way in ahead of, the, ahead of everyone else, right? People have been waiting for some time, and you know, it's this guy, and you could just see he was agitated, and he was decked with some serious muscles and some tats, and he's like, I'm not going to wait for any of this. And he's like, pushed his way forward and all that, except the difficulty was is he's married, he's got two young girls, and the wife didn't want to do that. She felt uncomfortable by that. And so she stood back. But he, you know, went on forward. And he's like, just come over, come over. And she wouldn't do it. And eventually, like the security or the air hostess people, whatever you call them, work out that this is not right. And so they come to him and he's pulled to a sign, like they could check your ticket. Then he has to wait. And he has to wait for the wife and the two girls, right? Even though the wife and the two girls did the right thing, he proceeded to lay into his wife and these two girls awkwardly um they were standing right behind me and he he was not quiet in telling her what he thought of her and i honestly i mean, i've used some pretty um colorful language in my time i couldn't repeat what he was saying out loud to you today but he just said over and over you're a blank you're a blank same word you're a blank you're a blank all right and then he doubled down to the kids your mum's a blank your mum's a blank And just the hostility in his voice and the posture of the wife, which was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, what am I to do in that moment? Put my earbuds on (laughs) and mind my own business? Maybe, right? Last thing I want to do is escalate this situation and make it worse for the, 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 the wife or the kids. But I feel God pressing in on my heart that this is not how a man should treat a woman, let alone his wife. Now, I'd like to imagine I'm a pretty courageous person, right? I'd like to imagine I'm a person who's not afraid to take things head on. But I can tell you in that moment, my head (laughs) spun with a million and one reasons why this could be a bad idea. Like I said, the dude was tanked. So I'm imagining I'm going to say something. He's going to headbutt me. We're then going to be wrestling in the departure lounge. Kids are going to be screaming, right? Then the cops are going to just show up out of nowhere with tasers. And they're going to taser me instead of him. And then I'm going to be on today, tonight. Again. (laughs) Million and one thoughts go in my mind. Uh, By God's grace, I shot up a quick arrow prayer. You know those prayers? Lord, help, give me the right words. Um, And I called him aside. And I said, hey, can we chat? And we chatted, and I said, and I explained to him what I saw, and I said, it wasn't appropriate. And I said, but I want to know, how are you? What's, what's, What's going on? And we talked, and he opened up. And I, I, I didn't... I don't know how that, like it seemed to de-escalate the situation. I don't know what happened with that. Um, but, but upon reflection, and I hope it worked out fine, but upon reflection, I realized, gee, it's easy to, to speak courage. But actually in those little moments in the day, when you're least expecting it, when you're not prepared, you're just trying to get on a flight or whatever it is, man, that's when it can be tested. Far easier to talk about courage than it is to live it. Um, I want to encourage you to trust God and to live 
to live that walk of courage. Because I know you can relate because you've experienced this all the time. Every day in your life, you are faced with choices about how you will respond. Will I be courageous in the face of danger? Or will I just avoid it and walk away? Will I be courageous in the face of oppression? Um, Will I stay with that same guy or that same girl who continues to beat me down, that same partner who continues to treat me like dirt? Or will I be courageous to say, hey, that's not right. I'm actually made for more than this. Will I be courageous when it comes to sin? Instead of submitting to the same patterns of sin, Instead of listening to the same lies, will you be brave to say enough is enough and not just put sin to death, but now choose life, choose a better way, choose the way of Christ? Will you be courageous when it comes to your purpose? Instead of living somebody else's calling or doing what others expect you should do, to be courageous and hear the voice of God and live in a way that pleases Him, to follow His word, to follow and trust His calling? Will you be courageous when it comes to your reputation? I've met a lot, I've met many Christians who straddle both worlds, church, world, church, world. Let Let me encourage you to be bold with your faith and your convictions and your identity. Right? I'm not saying you need to bash everyone over the head with your Bible every single minute, but be have some integrity of what you believe. Share that in the workplace. Hey, I'm a Christian. This is how this is why it matters in my life. Uh, At university, don't hold back. At school, don't hold back. Be courageous with who you are, who God has made you to be. Could that cost you a bit of social capital? Maybe. But faith without courage is dead. Two, this story of Rahab reveals that real faith comes from hearing. I'm so curious by Rahab's story, and I I was thinking to myself as I'm reading, I'm like, man, what, what led to her bravery? I mean, she's been through a lot. She's learned a lot in life. So what, what, what was it that instilled this courage in her life? Has she always been hoping to kind of defy the king? Is that, is that what it is? Maybe. But I want you to see what she says in verse 8. After a chat with the king, the camera cuts back to Rahab and the two men of Israel. The writer says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan the Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. What was it that inspired Rahab's faith? It was the word of our God. 
She says, we have heard how the Lord parted the Red Sea and led you out of Egypt. We have heard uh, what you did to the kings beyond the river. And as soon as we heard the testimony of the Lord, our hearts melted, for we have heard and believed that your God is the God of heaven and of earth. Right, So the Canaanites worshipped many false idols and demonic gods, and yet because of what Rahab hears about God, she has this true and genuine faith. So here is what I want you to know today. I want you to know that real faith is not something that you're just born with. Real faith is not something you get just because you went to a particular school or you were raised in a particular family. No, as the Bible says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. By show of hands, how many of you want to grow in your faith this year? Right? Praise God. How many of us want to see a new level of courage and strength in our life? Let me encourage you to dwell in God's word. Let me encourage you to spend time in Exodus and see the the power of our Lord, his strength, his deliverance. Spend time in the Psalms and be gripped by the vision of God and his glory. Dwell in his presence. See his renown go out. Spend time in Proverbs and discover that God not only understands your life, but speaks wisdom into and for your life. Spend time with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See and hear your Savior. See the one of perfect holiness, compassion, and love. See Jesus' courage in the face of evil. See his love and allow his word to enlarge your heart. Grow your faith. I said last week, and I'm going to say it again, one of the most important things you could do for your life and faith this year is dwell in God's word. Resolve in your heart right now to carve out time in the morning or time in the evening or morning and night to read the Bible. If you don't know where to start, That's okay. There are a ton of people at this church who would love to help you, to equip you, to help you navigate God's word. But don't put God's word to the side. Have it open. Read it. Dwell in it. As I also said last week, make Sundays a priority. Because at City on a Hill, we take God's word seriously. We devote a lot of time to the Bible right? If you don't like the Bible, you're going to hate City on a Hill. We love the Bible. It's not saying I always get it right. You should weigh up what you're hearing with what you read. But we're committed to holding this up, to exploring it together, 
to submitting ourselves to God's word. We're not ashamed of God's word, so we're going to lean into those comforting passages and those confronting passages. We want to preach it in season and out of season because we know that God's word is living and active and that it never returns empty. Like, man, I'm so tired. I don't know if I can get to church today. Man, it's sunny outside. I wish I could go to the beach today. (laughs) But I'm going to take a step of faith today because I know that when God's word goes out, it never returns empty. Third, final point. Story of Rahab shows that real faith seeks refuge in the hand of God. I love this about Rahab. She's heard of the Lord's power. And she's heard of the judgment. And that's why the people in Jericho, their hearts are melting in fear. And so what does she do? She pleads for salvation. So check this out, verse 12. She says to the, two, to the two men, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you'll save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Rahab knows that God is about to come in judgment against her people. She knows that Israel are on the march and that when they arrive, the, the sword of God's wrath and judgment is going to come down. Now, I know some of us will find Joshua difficult because of this. The scenes and themes of violence and war are confronting to us. And we can scratch our head wondering how we can trust a God who's bent on this kind of judgment. Uh, We could spend a long time unpacking that very question. Uh, But one of the things we need to keep in mind is that when it comes to the holiness of God, when it comes to the character of God, God is not indifferent to evil. The opposite of love is not hatred, it's indifference. And when it comes to Canaan, God is not indifferent to their sin. He's not indifferent to their injustice and cruelty. He will not turn a blind eye to their abuse of the many slaves they housed. He wouldn't let their sexual deviation just go on and on and on. He wouldn't allow another kid to be slaughtered on the uh, altar of their false idols. There comes a point where God says, enough is enough. Rahab knows this. She knows the sin of her people the judgment they deserve. And instead of hardening her heart or raising her fists at God, she pleads for salvation. She cries out for help. Save us. Save our household. Save my father. Save my mother. Save my brothers and sisters. Now, I appreciate there's some distance between this passage today the city of Jericho, in our world that we are now in. But we would be blind to think that our sin is any less severe in the presence of a holy and righteous God. 
You may not be selling your body on the street, but deep in the heart of us all are areas of our life that we know are out of step with the will of God. We have done things we should not have done. We fail to do things we're supposed to do. God knows of our abuse of power. God knows of our disregard for the poor. God knows of our greed, our lust, our violence. He knows the idols that occupy our heart. In the Bible, that's called sin. And the Bible is also clear that the wages of sin is death. Sin cannot be unpunished. Romans 2 says, the Lord says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. I know a lot of teachers and preachers and Christians would like to skip over a passage like that because we don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But might I suggest that what we should be fearing is seeing people go to hell. That's what should grip us. A message about God's judgment is not unloving. In fact, it can be the most loving thing to do. Is to warn people about the peril of sin and the judgment that will fall. And of course, the hope and promise that we have in God. Just as Rahab turns to these men for mercy and salvation, so you and your family need to turn to Jesus for his salvation and his rescue. Did you see the sign that Rahab is given for her salvation? Look at verse 18. Picture it. The men say to her, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Right? The men ask Rahab to tie a scarlet cord to the rope and let it hang down from the window. And this cord dripped in red dye would be a sign for them. A sign that would distinguish her house from the rest. A sign that whoever was in the house would be saved from God's judgment. And of course, this sign was deeply symbolic for Israel. Because you may remember in the story of Exodus, that when judgment was coming upon Egypt, God called the people to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the doorsteps. So that when the judgment of death came, it would pass over every house that was resting under the blood of the Lamb. And of course, that red blood across the door and the red scarlet cord hanging from Rahab's window is for us what? A sign pointing you to God's heart of salvation, pointing you the means of his salvation that God would send a true and glorious sacrifice. The Lamb of God taking away our sins. Just as Israel looked 
to the blood on their uh, doorpost. Just as the Joshua and army would look to the red scarlet cord. So we look to Jesus and his blood that is poured out for us. That for all who are in him, all who dwell in Christ, for all whose house is under the blood of the true lamb, there is salvation. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever has faith, shall not perish, but have eternal life. There is a perishing. There is a judgment to come. But for all who trust in Jesus, there is eternal life. Take hold of the scarlet cord. Take hold of Christ. Uh, As the band comes up, what happened to Rahab after this moment? Seven days she waits. The armies assemble, and we see this in Joshua 6. She clings to that red scarlet cord, hoping, trusting, believing that the promise is sure. And then at just the right hour, Joshua remembers the promise and Rahab is rescued. Rahab is delivered. And not only does she escape the flames and leave her old life of prostitution, but she makes a new life among the people of God. She goes from a life of sin, shame, and self-destruction to a new life of peace, healing, and new beginnings. And you know what's cool? Rahab meets a man. Do you know this? I don't think they had hinged back then, so I'm not sure how this all happened. But we discover in the Bible that she meets a guy uh, named Selmon, and they're married, and they have... A baby boy. Uh, do you know what they named the baby boy? Anyone? Boaz. And who's Boaz? Boaz is the filthy rich dude who comes and rescues Ruth. He meets Ruth with kindness and compassion. He is the kinsman redeemer. And together they give birth uh, birth to Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of who? King David. King David is the great-grandson of Rahab. Mind blown. And then this gets even more wild when you read the New Testament. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this. In the opening verses of the New Testament, Matthew gives us this long genealogy that no one ever reads. But beginning with Abraham, it takes you through the line of promise until we reach the fulfillment of that promise. The true and better Joshua. The true and better King David. The true and better Kingsman Redeemer. We meet Jesus. And it just blows my mind to think that the birth of Jesus goes all the way back to this poor, unmarried prostitute who was slaving away her life on the outskirts of Jericho. 
Rahab may have thought that in this moment of testing, what she did was small. She helped two spies. She put out a red cord. In her eyes, this is just small and insignificant. It blows my mind to think about how God elected this moment to bring about His will. Right? I know God is sovereign and He can work out His plan however He wants to. But think of this. Without her faith, there's no rescue from Jericho. Without her faith, there's no marriage to Selman. Without her faith, there's no kinsman redeemer. There's no Boaz. There's no David. Without her faith, there's no Joseph and Mary. Without her faith, there's not even Jesus. Right now, I get the sovereignty of God. I understand that. But I want you to see the significance of her resolve. Choose today whom you will serve, says Joshua. In her hour, in her moment, she chose faith. And God took it and used it and blessed it. And now her name is in the Bible. Now she has a life and legacy that will echo throughout all eternity. I know many of us struggle with our past. We've all done stupid things. We've all done things that we wish we had not done. And things might have happened to you that fill you with despair and shame. We look at ourselves, don't we? And we can see disappointment. We can look at ourselves and see poor choices. And we tell ourselves that God could never use someone like me. Do you see what the story of Rahab reveals? Do you see the heart of our God? Listen, there is no sin in your life that can outrun God's grace. There is no brokenness that God can't redeem. Are you without sin? No. But the good news of the gospel is that God is not looking for a clean record. God is not looking for a perfect resume. God is looking for men and women of faith. Men like Joshua, who will listen to the word of the Lord and obey it, even though it's hard, even though it's costly, even though it's risky. God is looking for women like Rahab, who despite their hurts, despite their shame, can lay that aside to trust God, believing that He is good, believing that He is powerful, and believing that He can use it to further His kingdom, His purpose, His plan, and His promise. I want to give us a moment where we are right now before we respond in song just to surrender it all. to surrender it all at the feet of Jesus, our perfect Savior who lived our life, died our death, rose victorious, and now says to you, come, follow me. Give you a moment to pray in your own head and your heart, to name the things in your life that are holding you back, and to ask that God would, by His Spirit, fill you to live with boldness and bravery and courage and strength. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.